0: I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is a podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. The story of a hopeful young man or woman crossing an ocean with nothing but a dream and a better life and a few dollars in their pocket is not only something I've read about, it's something that I have lived. Some come to study, others come to work, others still to flee from political, religious, and ethnic persecution. But once they are in their adopted country, immigrants are survivors. And for many whose life narratives have been dictated by the whims of so many, from the embassy clerk to the border control officer to the landlord and would-be employer, the choice is simple, adapt or die. Despite Vermont's innate tradition of tolerance and its cosmopolitan and liberal outlook, and despite the welcomed influx of black, brown, and yellow immigrants in recent years, Vermont still remains incredibly white, and therefore a difficult place to integrate into. And without the help of civic and non-governmental agencies, many of us would simply have not managed to navigate the sometimes cruel curveballs our immigrant status threw at us. My guest today is Jacob Bokre, an immigrant himself who arrived on the shores of this country in 2003. Jacob lived and worked in Burkina Faso and Togo. He holds a master's degree in law from the University of Ogadougou. Jacob is now the executive director of the Association of Africans Living in Vermont, the AALV, an organization whose mission is to equip immigrants and refugees with the necessary tools skills, and support to resettle in Vermont. Jacob, welcome to the On the Shoulders of Giants podcast.
1: Thank you, Tino. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. Uh, Very glad to have you on my show. Um, So your name, your full name is Yacouba Jacob Bogre. Did I say that right?
1: Yes, you said it right.
0: Uh, What language is that and what does uh, Yacouba mean?
1: Well, I came from Burkina Faso and uh, in Burkina we have uh, about 73 different ethnic groups. Yakuba is uh, also the same word in Arabic, Yaqob for Christian or Yaqob for a Jew. My parents were Muslim and I grew up in a Muslim family. But I was lucky enough to go to school and uh, continued in a Catholic school because my parents and also in Burkina Faso, people are open-minded. Religion is not uh, like take it or die. So when I was in Catholic school, I got baptized and my parents did not oppose that. So that's how I ended up taking Jacob on top of Yakuba, my first name.
0: Oh, I see. That's interesting. So, what was your childhood like uh, in Burkina Faso? You
1: know, looking back at uh, how we grew up, I would say that we have, I had a normal childhood life. You know, it's only when I moved to Vermont, meeting friends or other groups who came from war-torn countries that I could reflect back and say that I might have been lucky. Because I grew up in a country that has never experienced war, except uh, some of the hardship uh, we face, or many of the developing countries face, like uh, not having enough resources, paying for schools. We, I could say that uh, we were lucky in Burkina, because I didn't have to suffer. My parents were not that wealthy, but they did what they can to provide for the family. My mother was a home caretaker. But every morning she would install her uh, little shop in front of her house selling uh, local pastries and also spices to help uh, her husband who was also a construction worker to support the families. Mm. But now I'm also looking back and wondered how much money my mom was making because in the morning most of the kids would stop at her shop and she would give them uh, pastries and if she doesn't see you, the day you stop by, she will ask you, but where were you? I didn't see you for a day or so. Why are you missing school? So sometime you realize now that uh, this was not a money-making business.
0: <laughs> so did you inherit any skills from her to bake?
1: Well, not banking that much, but trying our best to support each other. You know, my parents always told us that, that the little you have should not only benefit you, But you should do your best to support your neighbor who could be also in need. The more you shed, the more you will get.
0: Absolutely. So maybe my listeners might not be familiar with uh, Burkina Faso. Uh, Can you tell my listeners a little bit about the country itself, where exactly it is in Africa, and uh, any other information that they might find uh, interesting?
1: Well, Burkina Faso is a landlocked country in West Africa, surrounded by Benin, Mali, Niger, Togo, Ghana, and Ivory Coast. The country is not uh that rich, not uh, a lot of uh, raw material that we can sell, but mostly agriculture is uh, the biggest uh, operation, and uh, for those who might not be familiar with this region, know that uh, the rainy season is just about three or four months. So other activities that could come in and uh, support the country activity, economy are basically trade with uh, neighboring countries and also some of the international uh, donation and uh, investment that the country receives.
0: See, So why did you choose to leave? Well, I
1: came here because my wife was here a few years before me and also trying to start a new life, you know, and see how things could be different.
0: And so did you immigrate directly to Vermont?
1: Yes, Vermont was my first landing spot. And I would tell you that I loved it because it is exactly a small place as I would loved it. Not too much noise, but also a place where I found a strong community, people caring for each other, that's also one of the things that pushed me to stay and start my family here.
0: Interesting. So when you talk about a community, um, I know I've said it in my introduction there that uh, Vermont is a very white state. Uh, and so are you referring to just uh, the, the entire co- community of Vermont, or are you talking specifically about either Africans or West Africans in particular, because that is where you are from?
1: Well, I'm talking about the Vermont community, the Vermont, the state as, the Vermont as a state in general, because uh, no matter what experience you have, despite the fact that we have, uh, we live in a white state, we also, and personally, I came across many folks who are caring. They do not help or they do not interact with you because of your ethnicity or your Skin color, but folks who are always ready to share their experience and also help their neighbor grow and learn.
0: Absolutely. So um, I interviewed Ali Jang uh, recently, and um, he spoke about his own personal challenges adapting to uh, living in Vermont. Uh, What were some of the challenges that you personally experienced integrating into the United States and into Vermont? You know, the
1: first month, uh, or let's say the first two years when I came in, I was really struggling to find friends from this uh, West African, this part of uh, Africa, and also trying to think about what I will do. That was the biggest challenge I encountered. But uh, my wife, who, who has been here for many years, introduced me to the broader African community. And uh, I came across friends who have not had a chance to go to school. Many shared their life experience coming from Wharton area. And that's made me realize that, well, don't complain too much because you are lucky. You didn't go through what these folks are telling you. Maybe I would not have survived. And that's made me think of how I can better utilize my skills and uh, life to also support other people who might have had had shipping the past.
0: I see. And you came with a law degree. Uh, did you try to maybe continue your practice in law when you came here?
1: No, I did not. Because the okay. process was also not easy. And uh, I thought of first, uh, trying to settle, not be a burden for anyone, and also trying to take uh, other classes to see what else to do down the road. But I did not continue with law here.
0: Got it. Yeah, I know uh, a common challenge that a lot of immigrants uh, who come to the United States uh, have is that they struggle to get their professional accreditations and degrees recognized by either employers or other organizations who either refuse to look past the, the accent or otherwise maybe don't recognize the names of the universities that uh, these people have attended. And unfortunately it forces uh, immigrants to work in jobs that they typically may not necessarily have uh, learned their life skills on, you know. And I know that a lot of immigrants that I have come into contact with end up becoming either like manual laborers or minimum wage workers when they actually have qualifications above and beyond what they currently do today.
1: Exactly. You're completely right. And uh, this is also something we always advocate for, making sure that we can have opportunity to recertify and also be given a chance to practice. Or at least have some consideration for uh, the previous work skills, work life, work skills and uh, degrees that people might have in their own country. You know, if uh, this chance is given to many, I'm sure they will be able to contribute more to the local economy.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more there. So how did you find out about and uh, get involved with the Association of Africans Living in Vermont in the first place?
1: Well, I would, uh, as I said at the beginning, my wife introduced me to the small group of Africans who were here. And I think you were also among some of the first friends I met when I came in 2003 and other groups uh, that were here already. And that made my life much easier when I came uh, to know this small group of young men who were here and who was also willing to share their experience and meeting on weekends to play soccer when the weather was uh, nice. And, uh, just talking about our life experience and challenges, that has really helped me and also pushed me to continue learning from others also who might have come to the United States as an immigrants.
0: And then uh, getting involved in AALV, how did you find out about them and get involved with them? I got involved... Uh,
1: some of the community activities we were running because uh, I've seen uh, and uh, some of us were talking about uh, some of the issues the community were facing, mostly those who came from Wharton area and uh, having families that were struggling, kids who couldn't cope with school or parents who couldn't understand what uh, parents were their kids were learning in school. So that's how uh, I got first involved, like uh, volunteering with a few families, helping them read or fill up some of the mail having them uh, talk to their parents, uh, the parents uh, at the parents teacher conference if uh, the school has uh, meetings and now in 2009 uh, there was this opening when uh, the first executive director left and the board uh, because we didn't have that enough resources to have a strong candidate I end up uh, taking the position as executive director of the organization
0: and you haven't looked back since.
1: Well, I have not. But uh, there are days where you get home completely exhausted and you said, okay, I think I need to step down and look for something else. And uh, when you are about to make your decision, you will come across someone who will say, well, you know, I'm coming to share this with you. Your organization helped me go through some of the difficulties I was facing. This is what I'm doing now and this is where I am. I really want to say thank you. And that these are some of the small things that always uh, keep you going and uh, know that uh, the little things you are making or the little impact you are making in your community makes a lot of difference in people's lives.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, AALV. Um, how long has it been in uh, in business and how many employees did you have when you first started and how many do you have now?
1: Well, the organization, as a, a non-profit, started in 2000, and uh, but we did not provide any formal service until 2006. That's when we got our first uh, grants from the states and also from uh, local organizations like the United Way and the Office of Refugee Resettlement to have uh, part-time staff mainly to help uh, newcomers, mostly refugees, cope with some of the problems uh, they were facing. And uh, until 2009, the organization was operating with uh, six staff, three full-time and three part-time. But uh, Today, we have uh, 12 full-time staff on board.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. And so you talked a little bit about uh, grants and stuff. So how does the organization make money? Well, we...
1: Our program is mainly funded through uh, donations, through local organization or non-profit, and also uh, federal and state funding, which uh, grants uh, money. So those funding target specific activities we want to run. Let's say, health education for young men and women in the community, or provide case management services or counseling, or look uh, clients who want to access uh, employment opportunities. So that's how we get funded and also support uh, our organization operation.
0: Fantastic. So you touched a little bit on it, some of the services that uh, the organization offers. So in terms of, say, jobs, for instance, what are the sort of things that you're doing to help immigrants gain jobs and also to... um, Overcome some of the language barriers that might make somebody look like they are unqualified for a job when possibly they might already, you know, have the skills, but Mm -hmm. just maybe just don't have the the English language part of it.
1: When someone walked to our doors, usually what we would do is uh, have a short intake that would guide us and uh, learn about what the person' previous experience was. Some would come with a strong experience from their home country, or they might not have that much experience. But what we always do is reminding folks that there are two things they can do. First, get themselves some time to access uh, English classes. That would help them at least learn. Two, look at where they can find something that can help them sustain their life. And uh, we mainly work with employers who have been really receptive and open-minded they would not uh, let you down because you have limited skills. They would do their best to support you. And uh, knowing that in some of the places we have uh, immigrants and refugees who are working there, we always make sure that we can pair newcomers or folks who want to play there with those who are already working there so they can learn or express themselves if uh, they are not able to speak uh, fluently English. So those who are there can support them while they're going through the transition as well.
0: The the number 90 is very important for refugees when they come to the United States because that's the number of days that most refugees arriving into the country have before the basic resettlement money that they get from the government runs out. Is that enough? And what is uh, AALV doing to support these folks? Uh, because once that three months is over, there's still a lot of things that these people either don't know or need to get done, um, and it's, it's a bit of a challenge.
1: Well, uh, let me also clarify that uh, our organization uh, does not uh, resettle. In Vermont, we have only one agency that uh, resettles refugees. So, as you said, uh, the initial resettlement uh, support is uh, really limited, and uh, not only for Vermont, but uh, the United States resettlement process is making sure that people are up and running as soon as they can. So what we can do, and uh, because we don't want also to duplicate some of the services, we try to have a cut-off date. So client would not come to ALV for services during the initial uh, resettlement phase. Some would come, we will reset them back to the resettlement agency so they can continue to get support from their case managers. And uh, after that, the their uh, initial resettlement phase, they can still come to us now for subsequent need, which could be employment related if they are looking for uh, other employment opportunity, housing, or access other services that we offer at ALB. We do also provide uh, some training that are funded through the Department of Labor. Some clients would come and sign up for those trainings, for example, so they can uh, increase their earning potential.
0: Got it. Got it. you mentioned that what usually you get these people coming to you once they've settled in, in the country? So maybe talking about things like um, cultural changes and behavioral awareness, you know, do you find that there's maybe a problem between like the young people that completely assimilate into American culture and possibly lose their cultural identity. And then on the flip side, the older generation who fail to integrate and maybe end up living miserable lives here in the United States.
1: We see that a lot. You know, the kids uh, learn fast. Some are attending school and uh, they can uh, learn English faster than their parents, who most of the time would have to spend their time working to provide for their families and uh, that also creates some form of frustration because parents always uh, would say that uh, some of the kids would not listen to them or uh, they would always think that they know better than the parents. So that creates a lot of uh, conflict. But one of the things I would say is uh, assimilating or trying to become an American is not always easy, because sometimes we see parents struggling because they have gone through a lot of traumatic experience in their own country. They would not seek support right away because they are trying to provide for their family. And that, down the road, sometimes can come back and haunt them because they would have flashbacks, they would relapse, and they are not able to function as normal human being because they have to deal with all the stress they are facing in this country and also the uh, previous stress that is coming back again giving them difficulty. So we've seen a lot of uh, conflict in families because of some of those past stress or kids having to live through stress and are uh, not able to cope or do well in school. So this creates a lot of frustration not only with parents but also with friends and uh, some of the school system here in town.
0: Do you find that uh, maybe in African cultures that mental health is not viewed as something that is, I guess, people don't look at it as something that is as important, even though it probably exists?
1: Hmm. I will not say that it's not important, but it's because sometimes we do not have connection with uh, our past experience to get some form of traditional healing. You know, back home, people have access to the larger community. They can have people who would come, support them, pray for them, or they would have access to traditional, uh, healers who can work with them while they're going through traumatic experience. Mm. You know, not in every culture or every country where uh, modern medicine is developed. So in this country, when that's happened, you are first left to yourself. The first thing that would come is when you are meeting with a provider is probably medication, which not many people were used to. And also taking those medicine also would require some discipline. If you don't know how to follow or if you miss your medication, you might not be able to help yourself because you are missing or you are not even willing to take that. Sometimes it's really difficult to follow the, those steps.
0: So you end up having people, you know, maybe getting into trouble or falling onto hard times because of, you know, uh, these uh, difficult uh, circumstances that they find themselves into. I mean, you're, you're being expected to learn English. You're trying to find a job. You're learning about getting credit you know, learning bus routes and uh, filling out forms. You're also trying to run a family, build relationships, pay bills, all of those things. Um, it's it's a very challenging environment. And I wonder whether then as a byproduct of that, you know, as far as law enforcement is concerned, there are also then challenges uh, that immigrants face as far as uh, law enforcement is concerned.
1: Yes, that's true. Because sometimes we might not understand well all the regulation, and that creates a lot of frustration. But to the credit of uh, our law enforcement agencies here in the state, and mostly in Chittenden County, I would say that uh, those agencies have worked hard to build strong relationship with the communities. You know, they might have some issue, but not the way we personally I might. be you wrong, know, but I would say that. Our, I am really proud of the collaboration that uh, our law enforcement agencies have with the multiple refugee and immigrant communities here in town. So they would always approach when they are concerned, getting the community involved or meeting, coming at meetings. For example, at LG, we had several meetings with uh, the police department, the state, or uh, the local uh, uh, police department, Wellington Winiski, to discuss about issues we might be facing and also see how we can collaborate so we can all build a safer community. Now, that's something I wish could continue, and everyone would learn from that. And also looking at diversifying our police force. Now, the new genera- generation that is here also need to be involved. So, recruiting more diverse uh, force at uh, the police department also could help solve some of uh, the Communication gaps that might exist, and also build more confidence between the law enforcement agencies and uh, the refugee and immigrant community.
0: Yeah, um, there's also a lot of diversity within the African community itself. You know, uh, people see Africa as a single country, or you know, uh, and they don't realize that uh, it's a entire continent with multiple countries. Represented in it, and even within a single country, you have different ethnic groups and cultures represented. So, even in the African community within Vermont, you know, you have Muslims, Christians, East Africans, West Africans, Southern Africans, Francophones, etc. Do you know what the breadth of African countries represented in your group is? And also, how are you trying to educate the Vermont community about? you know, the differences in in the different countries represented? That's
1: somehow difficult to do because we do not have a lot of resources to do cultural competency training or education with the community at large. But what we try as organizations when we are meeting with providers or uh, having small group discussion is introducing ethnic groups. And uh, we always uh, share resources that are available uh, on some of the resettlement websites, like the Office of Refugee Resettlement, the State Refugee, or the state agencies, to talk about specific groups that are coming. You know, Vermont is a small state, but over the past 20, 25 years, we have resettled many groups from many countries. You know, like if you are looking at uh, the African countries, some of the biggest groups that were resettled in Vermont came from Somalia, The Democratic Republic of Congo and Sudan. These are the three biggest countries or the three biggest groups that were et cetera in Vermont. Mm -hmm. But in between, you have small groups that came from, I would say, all over the continent, Liberia, for example, Togo, Chad, Sudan, and also other people who came as immigrants because they came as uh, professionals or students and uh, decided to stay or uh, came uh, through family petitions. So that's also something you have to consider when you are looking at uh, the segments of uh, our populations.
0: And you are no longer just focused specifically as an organization, specifically on Africans now. You are now representing other immigrant groups.
1: Yes. I said uh, earlier that... uh, we resettled, uh, or the state of Vermont resettled many groups. In 2006, 2000, from 2006 to 2008, for example, we have seen a shift in uh, the resettlement population. From mainly Africans, we have seen groups coming from uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, and Middle East. And some of these individuals who were coming were also knocking at our doors for support. Uh, Some of their friends, their neighbors would say, okay, I I got support from this organization when I came. Why don't you go there? And some of the Africans would come with their neighbors and say, okay, this is my neighbor. He came from this country. Can you help them? Because I think they might need help reading their paperwork, filling an application, or just learning how to take a bus, as you said. So that's how we decided to expand our services and also knowing that we are getting public funding we cannot discriminate against anyone who is coming to request service we might not be able to support you but we will try
0: our best to refer you to services that can meet your needs got it and then you also talked about going beyond the refugee community into other people that may have just immigrated regardless um is that was that something a conscious decision that you guys made
1: Yes, because we, once you are here, we all face the same challenge. You know, an immigrant might not be facing hardship like a refugee, but we always try our best to learn, support each other, and also share. Someone would come and say, okay, I came with this experience. I would like to mentor kids, for example, mostly the group of professionals who are here. We want to make sure that these kids who are coming can have the right support. We didn't get that or we don't want them to fail. And that's how we build a safer community because the oldest group, the elders are thinking about how to support their kids or their brothers and sisters to become also successful members of our community.
0: Absolutely. So. I know that uh, today there's uh, quite a bit of negative sentiment around refugees, uh, particularly because of the stance that the current administration at the White House has put out. You know, uh, What is the message that you would like to send to people that might be listening to this podcast about immigrants and uh, the people that you represent?
1: I would say that the immigrants are not takers. You know, if you look at many economic statistics, you will see that people have contributed a lot and they continue to contribute. And, uh, probably we are not doing a good job in sharing that, that many people also are aware of the contribution of the many refugees and immigrants who have been resettled in this country. It's just a small group of folks who want to be biased. And they use all the platforms to make their voice heard. So the silent majority will see the great impact of uh, resettlement of immigration, should do a better job in sharing also their experience living with immigrants, seeing immigrants contributing to uh, their local economy, or bringing a new culture to this country. This country has always been a nation of immigrants, and I'm really happy that uh, despite the rhetoric, many people are not falling into developing, uh, I would say, biased views. but they continue to provide support. And people have come to ALV and said, well, we are not what you are hearing on the news. If there is something we can do, we'll do our best to support. But do not be afraid. This rhetoric will go away. And it will go away because the good people will stand and they will end the hatred that is starting to develop and that is not going to last.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so where do you see yourself and uh, the association in the next five to ten years?
1: Well, not myself, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, soon we will be able to have the younger generation step up also and bring uh, the skills to run the organization. And also as a group or as an organization, we want to also develop a lot of programs that can empower our community, mostly our youth. We just started uh, with uh, the support of uh, the Department of Children and Family, a youth mentoring program. We would like to develop that program so kids can have the right support, succeed in school, and become better members of our communities. And we want also to develop strong collaboration with the school system so no one would be left behind. Mm -hmm. If someone is struggling, we want to make sure that the school or the families can have access to resources. To support each other so the kids can become a better members of our community also.
0: And so, how can Vermonters help to reach that, uh, that goal? Well,
1: one of the things is uh, talking about uh, the success of our kids is reaching out to the school district and see how some of the support services can be tailored to meet the needs of kids who are struggling in school. That's our, my biggest concern right now. And also having school district look at how they can provide services, so no child can be left out. If they are struggling, if they seem to be troublesome, we have to look into what makes them become uh, that way. Have they access to the right uh, mental health counseling services? Are they struggling because they have not gone through a formal school system, and we place them into a classroom that does not reflect the academic level, we have to do our best to help them perform. And also, thinking of uh, the larger community, how we can look at skill training opportunities. So when refugees or other immigrants come, if they have not had access to formal education system, they can have access to the right skill training, so they can contribute to the local economy. We have many people who are here, but not many have the right skills to meet the labor market demand. And this is something also we have to be mindful of.
0: And so in closing, um, I'm gonna ask you a question that I ask all of my guests. If you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, what was of wisdom would you say to yourself?
1: Always be grateful of what our parents did for us. You know, when you are growing, you might we might not have known that time. We all always complain of things that are lacking. My parents don't love me. They're giving me hard time. They're pushing me to go to school. Well, they did the right thing. And today, I think uh, if my mother or my father didn't do that, maybe I wouldn't have this chance today. And this is something I always remind the kids. No, a few years ago, I traveled with my kids to Burkina Faso. And uh, and uh, when we came back here, I said, you see how kids work to go to school? They do not complain. You have to do your best also to succeed. You have everything you need here in your school. The community is giving you everything to succeed. So do your best, because in other places, kids don't have access to those resources. But they're struggling. They're doing their best to succeed also.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more there. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. So if uh, people who are listening to this podcast want to learn more about you and your organization and get involved, uh, how do they get in touch with you? you now, we
1: are located in Wellington, 20 Allen Street, third floor. And uh, we are always uh, open to folks wanting to come to visit our phone number is also accessible if you need uh, information and our website also would give you more information and detailed information on the services we provide. www.aalv-vt.org Wonderful. But we would welcome folks coming and uh, sharing the experience and also Helping us to learn and grow as an organization
0: uh Jacob, thank you so much for sharing your time, your experiences and your insights. um you know African Vermonters are now interwoven into the fabric of the state and in Burlington in particular, and so I am grateful that an organization like the Association of Africans Living in Vermont is in place to help uh the needs of not only African immigrants but also just immigrants in general, no matter where they come from, to integrate into American society. Um, However, under your leadership and your organization, you know, the charter of the organization has grown and now represents immigrants from all over the world. And as you continue to help these immigrants integrate and engage with their community and to enrich their own lives and their families, it has a positive effect at the end of the day because successful immigrants also means a successful Burlington and a successful Vermont community, and um, you know that's that's incredibly important, and to make sure that immigrants feel at home, feel safe, feel welcomed, accepted, equal, and protected by the laws of the country. And I think a- AALV is doing a lot of really good things to support and help these people.
1: Thank you so much, Dino, and thank you for uh, having me.
0: Wonderful, and with that. We will wrap up the show.